Thank you for joining us today on A Word from the Lord. The following teaching is from Archbishop Beach in his address to the Provincial Council of the Anglican Church in North America. This teaching provides both a context and call to action for clergy and laypersons alike to become part of the solution for the race issues facing us today. The past few months have not only been pandemic, but pandemonium. We've watched evil displayed by fellow image bearers and some police officers in recent weeks. We've heard cries of grief in our own neighborhoods and from all around the world. And the cries have gotten louder. We've watched as peaceful protests were hijacked by chaos and violence, destroying countless businesses and property and injuring not only bystanders, but also injuring over 800 police officers, some of whom have been killed as well. We still have a long, long way to go. In the U.S., we've struggled to overcome the effects of systemic racism from our founding days. And we know that changing laws would never be enough. Victories for civil rights and for the desegregation of our schools would never be enough. For you see, we don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. As Dr. Tony Evans of Oak Cliff Bible Church, a large African-American church in Dallas, recently said, the evangelical church needs to speak up where it has been silent on injustice and racism. The biggest problem in the culture today is the failure of the church. We wouldn't even have a racial racial crisis in America if the church had not consistently failed to deal with racism as the severe sin it is. But because the church has historically ignored or downplayed it, the issue still exists. Where the church is called to set an example, we have cowered. We have failed to fully and thoroughly and deeply address the problem of sin in our hearts, in our homes, our churches, and our nations. And as the Church of Jesus Christ, now even with the rapidly changing ethnic diversity of North America, we are still reeling from the systemic sins of yesterday. And this is not just a black-white issue. Ask our Asian brothers and sisters. Ask our Latino brothers and sisters. Ask our Native American brothers and sisters. Ask those whom the Lord has brought here from other nations. The Bible makes it unequivocally clear that we're all made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 said, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We each bear the image of God the Father. God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Any hostility between brothers and sisters in Christ, especially because of skin color, is an affront to God and damages our souls and the blessed community so many of us seek. This should upset us. Clearly from Scripture, we see that the goal of humanity is that from every tribe, every tongue, people, and nation— We will be one big, beautiful family. Revelation 7. This is what eternity with God and his people will look like and be like. It's not just a nice sentiment, but a reality of the church that is already in existence. Don't we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
There are somewhere around 2.5 billion men, women, and children in the world today who identify with the person of Jesus. And they come from almost every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. With them, we are, as the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2.19, no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. While this should be normal for the church, it is not normal. We still have much to do in our nations, but even more so in the church, to search our hearts to see if there is any offensive way in us. I know that in the East African revival of the 1930s, the Spirit of God poured out on a white man and a black man. They repented from their sins. They sought God. They prayed and they fasted. And then the Holy Spirit broke out in a mighty way. Our GAFCON movement in the Anglican Church in North America has been profoundly shaped and affected by this revival nearly 90 years running. During this time of revival, I'm told that what people in the churches and towns noticed were that white and black missionaries walking together, preaching together, praying together, worshiping together. And God the Father poured out a revival of repentance still at work today. It's unmistakable. They will know we are Christians by our love. As Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another, John 13, 35. When Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his father so fearlessly called us to this kind of love and nonviolent acts, people noticed, people responded, and change occurred. This still happens today. People notice, people change, people are converted by this courageous, self-denying love of God in action. Bishop N.T. Wright wrote this about agape love. Love affirms the reality of the other person, the other culture, the other way of life. Love takes the trouble to get to know the other person or culture, finding out how he, she, or it ticks, what makes it special. And finally, love wants the best for that person or culture. Racism has been practiced from the very beginning. And it isn't finished in our day. And sadly, it won't be finished when you and I are gone. Because in its root, it's a sin problem. We need God to rend our hearts as a church, as a people. We need the people of the Anglican Church in North America to display the kind of tenderness and compassion that is needed in this time. We need listening ears. We need thoughtfulness. We need preaching. We need humility. We need grace. We need to aim for the Anglican Church of North America to look like thy kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. A few years ago, the College of Bishops was able to hear Dr. Albert Thompson from the Diocese of the Mid-Atlantic speak to us about the history of our Anglican heritage, the failures of racism, and, the, and its many injustices, and some of the progress we've made over recent years. Last year in Plano at our 10th anniversary, we heard the Reverend Anthony Thompson from the REC Diocese of the Southeast. His precious wife was shot along with eight other people while having a Bible study at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston by a hate-filled man seething with racism. 
Anthony told us about the power of the gospel of Jesus and how it has enabled him to forgive the man who murdered his wife. In spite of this evil, we saw in the city of Charleston brothers and sisters in Christ, like Anthony, responding with the love of Jesus and the incredible power of forgiveness. We need to search our hearts and make sure there is no offensive way in us as the Anglican Church in North America. All the words about spiritual renewal and revival in the Bible are not directed to the non-Christian culture or to the non-Christians in the culture, but to the people of God, to those who wear his name. We need to look within ourselves. And it starts with me. What the Lord has shown me in the past few weeks is this, that I have failed to understand the incredible burden and pain that many of my black brothers and sisters live with every day. I've not wept with those who weep. I've not understood the depth of the effect of racism and injustice. I've not understood the burden of living under racist acts, slurs, and systems that they have to endure every day. Nor have I understood the fear which they constantly live for themselves and their families. It's not enough not to be racist. We must not be blind to the sin of racism and ignore it in our midst. Channing Austin Brown writes, and I'm still here about a white student in a college class who after visiting a museum on lynchings said this to her fellow classmates. I don't know what to do with what I've learned, she said. I can't fix your pain and I can't take it away, but I can see it. And I can work for the rest of my life to make sure your children don't have to experience the pain of racism. And then he writes, and then she said nine words that I've never forgotten. Doing nothing is no longer an option for me. Do any of you feel this way? I do. How can I bear another's burden, Galatians 6, 2, if I don't understand what it is? How can I rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep if I'm not in relationship? It's Romans 12, 15. I find myself listening a lot these days. I find myself sad a lot. I find myself angry. I find myself yearning to see all these sad things come untrue. And yet, I know that none of this is a surprise to our God, to our Lord, and that he can be trusted. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't hear me wrong. I'm in no way endorsing those movements that are promoting anarchy, destruction of the family, and the dismantling of our government. Our form of government has brought more freedom, justice, and liberation than any other kind of government. However, we cannot ignore the pain of our brothers and sisters. And it will not be through political parties and rallies and slogans and marches that our attitudes and practices are changed, that the souls of our nations are converted. They may have some impact, but the deep change we all need will be through revival that comes through repentance, turning away from our sin and toward God and his righteous ways in Jesus Christ. You can start right where you are, in your own heart, in your own relationship with God first. Then in your own community, one person at a time, 
one relationship at a time, one act at a time. Reaching out and building a relationship with someone different than you are. One drop of rain may not seem like much, but with other drops of rain, it can create a healing flood. Let me tell you about C.J. Pearson. He's a 17-year-old black teenager in Atlanta, 17-year-old. He decided he wanted to make a difference to help black-owned businesses that had been damaged or destroyed by rioters and looters. He said this, I watched so many videos of America burning each and every night, and it broke my heart to see it. But it also broke my heart to see black-owned businesses suffering while people were chanting, Black Lives Matter. So what he did, he set a goal of $30,000 to raise to help black businesses that had been hurt. Within a few days, he'd raised $160,000. Here in this picture, he's giving his first check of $10,000 to help a local business recover. CJ said this, I got to tell you, Burning down a Wendy's or any establishment didn't do anything for my black life. So I wanted to show that conservatives can come together. We can actually help people of color. We're not just saying black lives matter. We're showing they really do indeed matter. We're not just speaking into the atmosphere, but we're backing their words with actions and results. 17 years old. Amazing. As a church, we can discuss this issue and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And we have, and we will, the academics, the theologians, the bloggers, even our own working group. But as the saying goes, talk is cheap. What are we going to do? What does the Lord want us to do? There's someone in your personal world right now that you can begin to build a relationship with to get to know, to help, to serve in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's do it one person at a time. Several years back, back in, I think it was 2016, several black, white, and Hispanic pastors here in the Atlanta area began a movement for racial reconciliation, which we call the One Race Movement. We realized that churches can be right down the street from each other, And pastors not only don't know each other, they don't even know each other's names. We determined that it was not enough to just know the pastor, but to know each other's families and become not only brothers in Christ, but friends. This led to an event in 2018 when 400 pastors led a walk of thousands of people to climb to the top of Stone Mountain outside of Atlanta. If you know anything about Stone Mountain, it is where the first KKK or Ku Klux Klan cross was burned as a symbol of hatred against Jews and blacks. We climbed to the top, white, black, brown men and women. We sang and we cried and we repented. We lamented over the history that represented the death and destruction of our families, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we raised a new cross. And we prayed against the spirits of evil and hatred that were released long ago and asked God to bring revival, renewal, and end racism in our city and our communities and to bring about a true spiritual awakening. We saw a picture 
of every tribe, people, and nation. We saw things the way they should be, not how they were. And I must say what we saw together, one people, one body, one family, one race, all in Jesus Christ, was nothing short of a miracle. I'm praying and I'm working that this is what we will see in the Anglican Church in North America. So I want to encourage us to pray for one another about these things, to love each other, to respect each other. And let's get out and make a difference in our local communities. God has placed you and me here for such a time as this. So in conclusion, let me say it's with deep gratitude and sacred responsibility that Allison and I get to serve you. In these times of fear, pain, heartache, uncertainty, and anxiety, we remember that we're serving a God of goodness and favor toward all of us in Jesus Christ. His amazing grace abounds. His undeserved and unmerited favor is toward all who come to him in faith. He loves you and me with his unfailing and steadfast love. He's washed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And as the prophet Isaiah said, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they they shall be like wool. Because of his forgiveness and because of his Holy Spirit, we know that he works all things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. So we do not lose heart. We do not waver in our faith. We will not be anxious. Let us keep our eyes on him who is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. In him is our hope. And now here's a special segment from Archbishop Beach's sermon. Lord, have mercy on us. As believers, we should remain diligent in prayer and our prayers should concern everyone. We should remain diligent in prayer, and our prayers should concern everyone. Look back at verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Now, this is a house of prayer, and prayer should be made in this place, for all people. He says, request, prayers, intercessions. Intercessions are petitions for others or for ourselves. Thanksgivings, they should be made for everyone. This is to be a place of prayer. And not just for our own needs or your own needs, but prayers for everyone. But Paul doesn't stop there. He asked for prayers for kings, for those in authority. We're to pray for our local, state, and federal leaders Whether we agree with their policies or not, we're to pray for them. And I know some of you get mad and you get upset, and I do to it, but what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be praying for them. How often have you prayed for our leaders? How often have you prayed for the president or his staff or his cabinet to make godly, righteous, and wholesome decisions? It's our duty before God to pray for these folks as they're the preservers and instruments of peace on our behalf. We're told this is good, and it pleases God. 
Isn't it interesting here that Paul instructs Timothy to pray for these folks at a time when there were no Christian rulers or leaders anywhere in the world? Dear friends, I cannot emphasize this prayer enough. I cannot emphasize it. We all know 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, and what? Pray. Then he says they'll heal. But the question is, are we praying? We have a men's prayer meeting every Saturday. This place ought to be standing room only, but only a dedicated few gather. We have 24-hour prayer vigils, and it's like pulling teeth to get people to sign up. Now, I know you could pray on your own, but I'm asking you, do you? Do you? Are you asking God to bring a spiritual awakening to our land? Are you asking God to show you what you need to repent of and reveal to our fellow citizens what they need to repent of? Are you asking God to bless and lead and give godly counsel and wisdom to our leaders? So first, as believers, we should remain diligent in prayer and our concern should concern everyone. Secondly, as believers, our hearts should be concerned for everyone. Look at verse 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to be saved and so should we. In other words, the reason the church is concerned for everyone is because God is concerned for everyone. This means we are to be concerned not just with those who are attend our church, well, we should be concerned with people who attend other churches, those who don't attend any church, or those who used to attend church. This means we're concerned with those who hate us, or malign us, or talk about us, or put us down. This means we're concerned with those that we disagree with, or seem not to be able to have fellowship with. This means we're concerned about those who can't make it to church because they're sick or physically or mentally infirm. God wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. There should be no limits of our effort to reach out to those folks. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, said this, the church is the only society which exists for the benefits of its non-members. Oh, that we could get that. Regardless of what is happening in the political climate or social fabric of our country, you and I must stay on task. Regardless of how difficult or imposing the opposition to our message, we must continue to reach out in love to those around us. So secondly, as believers, our hearts should be concerned for everyone. A third thing here, as believers, our message should concern everyone. Verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The church's message should concern everyone. And what is this message? That there is one mediator between God and mankind or humankind, the man Christ Jesus, or the other, in other words, the human Messiah, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. 
It's not enough for Paul, as Paul writes here, to just affirm there's one God. There's a mediator between God and humankind. His name is Jesus. And what God has done for us in Jesus is not for just a select few, for us. He did it for everyone. And this is our message. He did not give his life for everyone but the Jews. No. Romans 1.16 tells us it was for the Jew first that he did this. He didn't give his life for everyone but the Muslims. No, he wants to reach them as well. He did not give his life for everyone but the Democrats or the Republicans or you just fill in the blank. He, he did it for them too. Just because they disagree with you and just because they're on the opposite side of the political arena or whatever it might be, he loves them too. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. Please visit us online at awftl.org.